the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We're all in this together. We are all in this together. And there isn't any doubt. We're all in this together. There's no one we can do. If you've been watching much of the news lately and these days, who can avoid it? you've probably noticed that there's been some criticism over Michigan's extended stay-at-home order. In fact, protesters have traveled to the state capitol to let Governor Gretchen Whitmer know that what they consider to be her, quote, erratic unilateral orders that threaten Michiganers' economic existence are problematic. But of course, when you're dealing with a state that is uh, in fourth place for the number of diagnosed COVID-19 cases, some 26,000 as of today, and some 1,600 deaths, you probably have a good reason to tighten down the stay-at-home orders. As America continues to grapple with this expanding disease, the tragic loss of life, and fear over what next, we hope to bring some perspective, not just from the hope-giving standpoint, but also the realities of what America has been facing. What's it like on the inside, having dealt with this disease directly? Offering some insights, we're joined by a familiar voice to KFAX listeners. She is a multi-award-winning, best-selling author, pastor, and led our recent Bible study series called The Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords That Bind You, best-selling author and pastor at Tribes Church in Rockford, Michigan, Dawn Scott Damon. And Dawn, wonderful to have you back on the program. Well, thank you so much. It's good to be back with you. Good to hear your voice. You sound like you're doing well. Who knew that uh, when we were doing the Freedom Challenge that just a few weeks later, we'd be dealing with COVID-19. And let's talk a bit about that. And I'll mention, too, that we have uh, we have your silent partner on the phone as well, uh, your husband, Paul mm-hmm. Damon, yeah. who is the founder and president of Family Capital Management and author of the best-selling Purpose-Filled Retirement. And, uh, Paul, great to have you join us as well. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate being here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Don, let's start with you. Let's sort of um, offer listeners a little bit of background. I mentioned at the get-go that there has been some criticism of the governor's handling of the COVID-19 shelter-in-place orders, most recently uh, not only extending the order, but also stipulating that folks from Michigan are not allowed to leave their homes at all, even if it's to travel across the street to go visit with neighbors. Some are looking at this as an extreme restriction on, quite frankly, freedom of choice, freedom of movement. Others, though, say that it's simply an abundance of caution. There's a unique side to your story that we haven't revealed to listeners yet. Why don't you share that, and then we'll talk. Sure, sounds great. Well, Michigan is definitely under attack, but take us back about four weeks ago, March 14th. And on March 14, I was sitting on an airplane flying home from a conference that I had just been in in Asheville, North Carolina. And the conference got canceled after about 
500 women came together, women, clergy, pastors, to celebrate what it means to be a woman in leadership. And the day before the conference uh, started, and excuse me, the day after, and we're all sitting there and in this room of women, President Trump declares a national emergency, and they tell us that we cannot be in groups over 100. So the conference blows up, and we all have to go home. I'm sitting in an airplane going home, and the guy next to me is clearly sick. And I'm thinking, oh, this is just great. I was so frustrated. But, um, you know, just praying over myself and thinking, okay, I'm fine. And the next morning, March 15, of course, that would be Sunday, and church was canceled. We had to cancel our church because now the CDC is recommending no gatherings over 50. But not thinking too much of it, I think, hey, I've got a Sunday off, and it happens to be my grandson's birthday party. So about 20 of us gathered together. We have the birthday party. That's Sunday. The next day, Monday, I wake up. A little bit of a runny nose, but I don't think too much of it. I go ahead and go into work, have a slight headache, a cough begins to develop, and by 2 o'clock Monday afternoon, I am feeling a burning, filling my lungs. Uh, the cough has become chronic, and my nose is dripping, and I think I need to get home. By 2 o'clock on Monday I head home, but now I've been in very close contact with over 20 people, hugging, kissing, you know, greeting. I've been with my accountant, my administrator at church. And um, so my husband and I decide, you know what? We better self-quarantine. This doesn't seem good. So on Monday, March 16, we self-quarantine. We're still in denial. Throughout the night and the next morning, I get a massive headache. I'm coughing. My lungs are on fire. I have shortness of breath. I can't walk up the stairs. I feel tired and weak, and we said we better call the doctor. And so what happens here in Michigan, it may be the same for you guys or everywhere, you call a number that they've published to think I may have COVID. I call this number completely still really in denial, but the process is, you call the number, they screen you, and if you match some of the qualifiers, they will then let a doctor call you back. So I called, I got an appointment because I did follow and match some of those qualifications, and so they approved me to receive a call back from the doctor. I get a call back from the doctor on Tuesday. They deny my prescription for testing because I have no fever. And apparently having a fever is one of the qualifiers. And so they said, you know, call us back if anything changes or you do get a fever. Wednesday morning I wake up and I have a fever. So I call the doctor back. I get approved. I get a a prescription for testing. And when I arrive at the Grand Rapids, Michigan Hospital, I discover the mid-shift testing. It's all outside. It's kind of like you're at a movie theater or or in the airlines where everything is draped off and everything has the ropes and you have to follow through the grid. Masks, police are there, nobody's getting through. You have to have the prescription. They had my name, and I then went and I got swabbed. By the time I got through all of that and got there to be uh, tested and swabbed, they discovered um, my I had no fever. 
the fever was already gone. So now they tell me, uh, we're testing you, but they may choose not to send this on to the lab because even on the form here, I didn't meet the qualifications once again. So they sent me home, and I thought, well, that's the end of that. I don't have it. I really, apparently you really got to have this persistent fever. And so, but we still decided to self-quarantine. And I also, at this time, were telling the 20 people that I had come in contact with, listen, you guys, I'm real sick, and I'm not feeling well at all, and I, I just want to let you know. So everyone in my little circle here decided to quarantine because by now we're starting to get a lot of information and understand that's really what we need to do. Let me jump in but real quick Sunday here. Afternoon. You're 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 oh, basically a, you're a week into this experience, barely a week into all of this from the time that the symptoms first began to transpire. And and Paul, let me jump to you. So she comes back suddenly from this trip that's cut short and within a matter of days is starting to show some signs. What's going through your mind? Well, I I'm pretty sure she has it. In fact, I I said that and she was still in denial, so she said, no, I don't think so. I think it's just a, a cold. Um, on Wednesday, March 18, so about two days after she's showing symptoms, I start showing almost the exact same symptoms, coughing, horrible headache. I think I had worse headaches than her. I didn't have some of the other things. I didn't have shortness of breath. I never had a fever. So what? a couple things that I learned from this, one is that, you got to be careful. They say that without a fever, you probably don't have it, and that was not my experience at all. Secondly, I think millions of Americans have had this. I've talked to so many people since my experience who said, man, I was really sick in January. Our son-in-law had a horrible cough for three weeks in early February, and on and on and on. So I think the numbers, statistics are really not very accurate. I was never tested, so I'm not one of the statistics. I'm not marked as having COVID-19 or even recovering from it because I never got tested. They actually didn't have any tests available by the time uh, my situation came to light, and they just said, we're sure you have it, so just quarantine yourself. Let's pause on that point when we come back to our conversation with Pastor Dawn Scott Damon and her husband, Paul Damon. Uh, we'll pick up the story. And as we're beginning to learn here, even as best guess that's been provided by health authorities seems to fall short, meaning not one size fits all when it comes to diagnosis, nor the symptoms related to COVID-19. We'll take this brief time out back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. A very special visit today with a voice that's certainly very familiar to KFAX listeners. She is a pastor and author of a number of best-selling books, conducted our recent multi-part survey, survey, listen to me, conducted our recent multi-part Bible study called The Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords That Bind You. With us is Pastor Don Scott Damon, along with her husband, Paul Damon. Pastor Don, let me pick things up with you. Just before the break, Paul shared a bit of his own experience that while he had many of the symptoms that you had, not all of them were present, including the fact that he never came down 
with a fever, and yet here you are, barely a week after your exposure, you've got some pretty significant um, symptoms, and you've now gone in to be tested. During that period of time, from the time you went in to receive the test until you got the results, what's going through your mind? Yes, well, it was four days that I hadn't heard anything, so my assumption was that I never sent it to the lab, that I didn't flag enough of the qualifiers, and that they just really weren't that worried about me. So I was, I, I was pretty sure that it wasn't COVID-19, albeit when I started seeing Paul, my husband, go through the identical symptoms, I thought, well, you know what, maybe, maybe there's something to this. But I also know that just, you know, influenza A and uh, other flu and other viruses can be pretty nasty. So I assumed I had something. But Sunday afternoon, literally one week later, I got a phone call in the afternoon and they said, hi, this is the you know, health department and spectrum. And we just are calling to let you know that your test did come back. COVID-19 is detected. You are positive. I just about fell over. I, re- I really couldn't believe it. But it started to, at that point, then make sense why I had the shortness of breath. And they were saying, if your symptoms worsen, if you find out that you can't breathe, and by the way, the onslaught of not being able to take in a deep breath goes very quickly. So they were very concerned about my lungs, very concerned about my breathing. And they said, you know, if you sense any tightness or any further burning or you start getting the least little bit of short breath, call us. Well, a few days later, that's exactly what happened to me. I was struggling with breathing and I called and I said, I don't want to be an alarmist, but I am struggling with breathing. And they said, you need to get down here right away. We need to do a chest x-ray and we need to put a monitor on your heart. And so that's what happened for me next. And um, my chest x-ray came back looking very good. My lungs were not filled with fluid at all, so that was good, and my heart was strong, so I praise the Lord for that. But they were talking about how the, the disease, or the virus rather, excuse me, does affect the heart muscle and, again, does fill up those lungs. So the tightness of, of chest and the shortness of breath that I was feeling, we just continued to attribute it to the symptoms of the virus. But yeah, it was amazing to me how fast, I really still do believe that I contracted it from the guy on the airplane, and I feel like in less than 24 hours, I was already, uh, I know the incubation period can be much longer, I do understand that, but who really knows, because I do know that when we're asymptomatic, that we could be spreading it to all kinds of people. This is true, and and this also, as you suggest, at least in your experience, was very fast-moving. Now, Paul, let me turn back to you. Um, you come down ill a few days after dawn. You begin to get suspicious. It's looking very much like what she has gone through. Then her diagnosis comes in. Now you know to a certainty, or at least a pretty good certainty, exactly what's going on with your wife, and you've got a better idea what's going on with you. When she began to experience some of the shortness of breath and the breathing difficulties, did that scare you? Yes, it did. And uh, I was just thankful for her that she never had uh, it. Got, never got worse. It never got uh, where that was serious. Where we felt like we had to go to the hospital. I never really experienced that. Maybe very mild shortness of breath, but nothing like what she was experiencing. So, yes, I was very concerned, and 
we, we talked about it frequently. I would keep asking her, how are you doing? Um, I would monitor as she walked up the steps and just uh, wanted to pay attention to that because uh, it is very serious. It, it, can, it can turn uh, bad in a, in a hurry if it's not monitored and watched very closely. Give us a sense, Don. There's been a lot of misinformation out there early on. There was multiple attempts to try to sort of downplay this. It's nothing different than the common cold. It's much like the, the influenza, nothing really to be worried about here. We certainly have come to learn a very different scenario surrounds this disease with almost 600,000 Americans that have been diagnosed. And that doesn't include uh, people like Paul that likely have gone through it, likely have experienced it, though never officially diagnosed and therefore not officially a part of the COVID-19 headcount in America. From your perspective looking at this, um, describe a little bit, Don, if you would, um, the feeling. Is, is this as serious as you seem to suggest and that many have, have suggested that it really is? Yeah, that's such a great question, and I'm not sure that any of us clearly know. I had started to do some research now, and I had discovered that about 80% of COVID-19 cases really exhibit mild symptoms. Uh, case in point, they might still be walking around not really knowing that they have it. And honestly, Craig, if my husband had not really pushed me, I don't know that I would have gone and got tested. I was thinking, nah, I've been sicker than this before. So I, I found that statistic, so I recognize that about 80% are going to have mild symptoms. And um, the other statistic that I saw was that 98% are going to recover. But it, it's scary because it's so many of us getting sick at the exact time. And, of course, as we've heard, if, if someone is vulnerable, if they have pre-existing medical conditions such as asthma or diabetes or heart disease, if they're severely ill or uh, older people, I have a, a mom who's 83, you know, be concerned of her. My daughter has a mother-in-law who is a cancer survivor and has one lung left. These are the people that if they contract this, they're, they're not likely to do well and, and perhaps not even survive because it's a respiratory virus. And, and that was the scary part, that it attacks your lungs and it does it fast. And, you know, what, what's disquieting about all of this is, as we've seen some people with a very laissez-faire attitude, let's go to the beach, spring break, we need to enjoy ourselves, if I get it, mm -hmm. so what? Um, and you talk about what appear to be fairly encouraging statistics, meaning of those that contracted, uh, 80% survive uh, or, or don't show any symptoms whatsoever, rather. And if you do contract it, um, the, the survival rate is 98%. That's pretty encouraging. The problem, of course, has been, in addition to some of the compromising categories that you just referred to, be it somebody who is elderly, compromised immune system, maybe other underlying health conditions, we've also had reports of people that appear to to be perfectly healthy, otherwise not on medication for anything whatsoever, people like yourself that you would think, well, this can't possibly affect me, and suddenly they become a statistic, either for having contracted COVID-19 or worse yet. Did that surprise you at all, that someone even as young and as healthy as yourself could contract this? Yeah, well, thank you for calling me young, first of all. And, <laughs> yes, thank you for calling me healthy. <laughs> I do think I'm both. I'm laughing things. a little bit over here. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, 
it was. And you talk about that denial. Denial, you know, that's a real thing. And um, as Rick Warren says, it's not a, a, a river in Egypt, right? It is um, a true denial is a really strong self-protection thing. And when the day hit me, when they called me, I think that's what crashed. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I really do have this. And I really could be in danger here. When I walked up the steps and I couldn't breathe and they told me, get in fast, we, we've got to have a, a we got to get you a chest x-ray, that's when it got really real. That's when it got real. I'm like, all right, you know what, this is no joke. This is not fun. And I am in good shape and I am a strong person. And for me to feel that I went downhill that quickly and felt that sick, that was alarming. That's for sure. Yep. We're going to pause on that point. Our conversation today with Pastor Dawn Scott Damon and her husband Paul Damon of their recent experiences as having been diagnosed and dealt with COVID-19. I'm Craig Roberts. More on this edition of Lifeline right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. We've got a very special treat today, and I say that because, well, it's always an honor whenever Pastor Don Scott Taman joins us. She, of course, is an award-winning author. She conducted our multi-day series, the Bible study series called The Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords That Bind You, and joining Pastor Damon is her husband, Paul, who've both recently gone through the experience of dealing with COVID-19 for themselves. And it was just about a month ago when all of this began to rear its ugly head. And uh, Pastor Damon, you mentioned about returning from a pastor's conference that got cut short because of the sudden change in the uh, regulations or rules and guidance related to major social gatherings. As, as you were going through the early days of the illness, and particularly once it was confirmed by testing that you did indeed have COVID-19, Put things in perspective for our listeners. What runs through your mind with the with the baseline understanding? You're a pastor. You're a believer. You've gone through challenges in your life before. You've got a strong faith in God, and yet suddenly, as you're listening to the news, hearing the statistics come out, there's got to be a level at which you, for at least a, a moment, are confronted by your own vulnerabilities and the frailty of this gift we've received from God called life. Absolutely. I was just very impacted by a couple of things. First of all, just as a human being who loves God, I thought, Lord, you know, we can be so self-sufficient and so strong, and we can think that we're just, you know, these wonderful leaders that are changing the world, that in an instant you can bring us to our knees and I, I was really humbled and really repented and just had to ask God for forgiveness for any pride or just self-sufficiency is the word. Just loving God, but forgetting sometimes to lean on him because it is very vulnerable. And I was really, there were a few moments where the reality of this could be, nobody thought they were going to die here. I just heard a statistic that New York has lost 50, 50 bus drivers have passed away. Young people from this viral loading of being exposed over and over 
you know, I didn't really think I could die at, at, at 58, but in that moment, I thought, I got to be ready to meet Jesus here. Paul, um, Paul, let me ask you the same, let me pose the same question to Paul. Paul, in terms of just sort of a quickening in your own heart as to the reality of what you were going through, what your wife Dawn was going through, you mentioned earlier about being very concerned when the positive diagnosis came in that she did indeed have COVID-19. You're also struggling with your own uh, health and body's response to the illness. And as you're looking at this in quarantine, a married couple, what's going through your mind? Well, I was, I was very concerned for both of us. I was also concerned to those people that we exposed, right? So you, you feel bad for yourself in your own situation, but I also felt very bad and, and concerned for our kids who we had been around and our, and our grandkids and some friends and, and people from church and work. Um, I had gone to work on that Monday when I was pretty sure Dawn had it, and I met with my team at my office, kept my distance, again, not knowing really what's appropriate here, you know, how do we manage this. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't aware that the isolation and all that was such a big, important deal. And, and so, you know, thinking back on that, that, that was a big concern for us. Um, another point to, the numbers of people that have probably had it, most of our kids had some symptoms, not not as bad as Dawn and myself, thankfully, but of the eight of our kids who were exposed, um, most of them went through some similar, uh, you know, things, issues, and probably they also had it. Again, they didn't get tested, uh, so they're not part of the statistics, and they're doing fine now. Their symptoms didn't last as long as ours and were not as, as significant or severe. Nonetheless, they probably experienced it also. Let's talk a bit about some of the response. And you guys have a unique perspective on all of this. Uh, we can sit on the, on the outside of the circle, so to speak, that um, have been healthy, maybe frustrated, staying at home, tempted to want to get out and enjoy life and do what we normally do, and yet sitting under these sheltered-in-place orders. When you watch the very casual response by some, we saw kids during spring break here a couple of weeks ago in Florida hanging out at the beach together as if it was no big deal, even in your own state of Michigan, people protesting the notion that we still want to be able to gather with neighbors if we can't do it with anybody else. What is your reaction based on your unique perspective to some of the behavior that you've seen exhibited by your fellow Americans? And and the question posed to either of you. So I'll go first real quick. Um, yeah, you know, we had a lot of concern about that because, again, the denial is so incredible. And there is a lot of backlash right now for Governor Whitmer because of the overstrict stay-at-home order that we feel that we're under. But at the same time, um, we saw kind of a, and maybe she's responding to this, I don't know, but there was a very casual uh, response initially from people, even even some, some churches. I, I was seeing some people on Facebook, and the, the congregation was saying, why can't we still meet? We still want to come together. And why aren't we still, and I, I had responded to them, I said, I love you too much to allow us to come together, because honestly, if somebody, you know, and knowing what we had just experienced, if someone is a carrier of the virus and doesn't know it, everybody's at risk. 
So it's just wisdom speaking here. It's not a matter of my freedom. It's a matter of what's wise. But, but yes, there were any and every. There were those that were overly concerned and put themselves on lockdown and haven't come out. And then there's those that are still going to the grocery store with no problem. Paul? Yes. And people who are younger and healthy don't have a high degree of risk of getting significantly sick or having significant problems. But one of the points and one of the concerns is they can get it, and then they go visit their grandmother and expose her, and she might be in her 80s and have some health issues, and now they've exposed their loved one to the significant risk because of their life situation, and they're in a different situation. So, And you saw that with the spring break issue. The young people were being asked by news reporters, what do you think about the COVID crisis? And they're like, oh, it's not a big deal for us. We're fine. We're healthy. And one of the reporters actually pointed that out to them, and it really brought some sobering moments for the young people that were, you know, asked that question. So you have to think about people that you're around, that you're being exposed to or being exposed to you. Not, not that you might be okay or not okay, but what, what about those that you care about and how, how might it affect them? And I'll also say that I think um, it's not a death sentence. As Don said, the statistics are really not bad as far as people being okay and surviving, but we want to be careful and use good caution where it makes sense, but do it in a reasonable way where, you know, using good judgment and, and being wise. If you've just joined our conversation, our visit today with Pastor Dawn Scott Damon. She, of course, is a best-selling author and the founding and lead pastor of Tribes Church in Rockford, Michigan. Her husband, Paul, also joins us. Paul is the founder and president of Family Capital Management and author of the best-selling book, Purpose-Filled Retirement. Let's take a brief time out. We'll come back with some more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back once again, our conversation today, Pastor Don Scott Damon, multi-award winning author. She, of course, was the host of our Freedom Challenge multi-part Bible study series of Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords that Bind You, newly released, by the way, by Redemption Press. Also joining us is her husband, Paul. Paul is the founder and president of Family Capital Management and author of the best-selling book, Purpose-Filled Retirement. Both indeed have gone through COVID-19. Dawn was diagnosed just about a month ago. Um, I understand that um, in the ensuing weeks since your initial um, suspicion about what was going on and then the the official confirmation, uh, you're both feeling and doing much better. And I want to come back to the the spiritual dynamic on all of this, because as much as it, it, it manifests itself in a physical way, a lot of this also points to, I think, the the human condition. I, I know that the question is often asked, why would God allow something like this to happen? Um, the, the other notion, and Paul, you sort of touched on this prior to the break, and that is the idea that some of these rules that are in place right now that I would grant you none of us like are there out of an abundance of caution because we need to be looking after the most vulnerable of culture and society. And I have to wonder today, Don, if, if perhaps some of the almost reckless attitude is based on the fact that to the greatest degree, 
in in recent generations we've been in sort of living in this culture of death meaning that that mayhem as entertainment be it in video games or on television and movies is something that we've come used to uh, america has been washed over by the the plague of abortion since 1973 and and some of these things i i wonder if they desensitize us to the point where suddenly we don't take issues of matter of of life and death as seriously as we ought to. What do you think? I agree with that. I I couldn't help but think about the people who took the cruise, even though, you know, and some even people with influence are so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're accountable. They got to be careful what they say. People of influence were on TV saying, yeah, go ahead and take the cruise. It's not a big deal. And then you've got, you know, ships of sickness floating around the ocean here when they can't get off. Uh, our world is, sometimes I think we live with the mentality that it really is how it is in Hollywood. And real life, unless we're really confronted with it, we forget that the, the reality and the severity and the soberingness is we live in a temporal world. We live in a fallen world. So the younger we are, I think um, the, the more, you know, invulnerable we feel we are. And let's let's speak to some of the spiritual dynamic here. I don't want to get into too much of a rabbit trail from an eschatological standpoint, but clearly we've got to look at this from an understanding of, of Scripture and say, boy, if these aren't signs of the end times, they look an awful lot like them. What do you think, Dawn, from a pastoral standpoint, should we as first a church and then second as a nation be looking at considering and doing right at this critical time? Yeah, thanks so much for asking that, because both my husband and I, and though my husband is a business owner, he's very much involved in the church with uh, generosity and kingdom giving. And so the both of us have really talked a lot about this. And the word that, that rolls around in our spirit a lot is exactly what you're pointing to. It's the be prepared, preparation. And I believe that right now, we may not be in the last days, but we are in the birth pains of the last days for sure. I have to believe that if you read scripture, you know, we will see that these things must take place before Jesus returns again. And so whether we have 10 days or 10 million days before Jesus returns, the, the answer for us is be ready, have your, be prepared And I think of the story of the ten virgins that's in the Bible in Matthew 28, and the story there is that they're waiting for the bridegroom to return, which, of course, is a picture of Jesus Christ. And these bridesmaids are all with their oil and their lamps, but five of them brought extra. They were prepared, and five of them did not. And surely, as you can imagine, the bridegroom appears, and the the bridesmaid, they've all fallen asleep, and he, Jesus, returns, and half of the church, half of the world is sleeping. They're not ready. And that's a very vivid picture that our Lord gave us in the Word of God that say, live with an expectancy, live with preparation, live with a vision for the future. Don't Not just today, but understand these things are going to take place. And it's definitely been a sobering time for us. Certainly served to, for, I hope, many Americans as a wake-up call. And while we must yet mm-hmm. occupy until he returns, because we still don't know 
the day or the hour, we know this to a certainty, that it's one day closer today than it was yesterday. And so to use this time as an opportunity to uh, take personal inventory of where we are in our relationships, not only horizontally with our family and our spouses, but most importantly, where we're at in our relationship vertically with God. And then, too, in that sense of being prepared, uh, because he can return in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. And um, you never know that it might be a diagnosis of COVID-19 that could take you to the judgment throne. The other notion I think here too is the importance mm-hmm. of of being prepared in all things that while um, you know it could happen in a moment, that moment could be years, decades off and being properly prepared both spiritually and from a financial standpoint uh, is important I think because we are called to be stewards of that which God has entrusted to us. And, and toward that end, um, and, and Paul, you and I could spend probably two hours on the radio um, dissecting this topic, yeah. <laughs> but right now, as we look at what's happened in the markets, and we've seen uh, you know, a, a tearing away of people's finances in relationship to their IRAs and 401ks, and while in recent days we've seen somewhat of a recovery, we're still some 5,000 points off of the high. There are major questions as to both the short and long-term impact on the health of the economy, the job market outlook, what's going to happen to GDP, and of course uh, the expenditures going on now out of Washington D.C. That's going to take us, you know, well past twenty-two trillion and then some in in the the federal debt. Um, a word or two, if you would, for folks out there that are really concerned about what's going on economically right now. What sort of proactive steps? should they be taking to make sure that they are protecting that which God has entrusted them to? Yes. This is a very important topic and very important to be learning from these kinds of experiences. You know, I tell people all the time, expect the unexpected. Don't be surprised by surprises. So many people just live day to day and they don't have a plan and and they aren't prepared for these kind of really difficult situations. And yet we know they're going to come. In the last 20 years, we've had three significant major financial disasters. And we've, we've lived through two of them, and I believe we'll live through the third one, but they happen. And so we shouldn't be surprised, and we should prepare for them rather than waiting till they come and then relying on the government to bail us out. Uh, statistics show that 60% of Americans have no savings. They have no backup. And if they don't have a paycheck in one week, they're in financial distress. They can't buy food and they can't provide for clothing and shelter for their families. So this really concerns me. And it's just the weight's heavy on my heart. And I want to communicate it to as many people as possible to be prepared, have a plan. And yeah, you might not be able to get whole or healthy in a moment or in a day or a year even, but start down that journey. Do some basic, simple things. Start reducing your expenses. Start setting aside some dollars for your cash reserve for the future. Uh, Pay down debt. Um, Try to get ahead of your debt payments and hopefully eliminate your debt if, if you can as soon as possible. So there's some basic things to help people survive and and even be able to thrive through through these opportunities. And I say opportunity because we're having a lot of people we talk to because they prepared for it, they're able to invest now and they're able to put more money in the market while it's down. 
and the market's come back 25% from the bottom. Now we don't know if it's, you know, if it's if the the, the worst is over and it's just going to keep going up from here. We don't know that, so we have to be prepared for it. If it doesn't, if it goes back down again, but uh, there there is an opportunity here, and there's every tragedy brings opportunity. It brings a spiritual opportunity to grow and to draw closer to God and in our relationships, our spouse and our family, so and, and financial opportunities. Undoubtedly, a, a major wake-up call at multiple layers, of not just in terms of um, considering our health, but considering where we're at in terms of our spiritual health, our relational health, and yes, even our financial health. I want to thank Pastor Don Scott Damon for being with us and her husband, Paul Damon, who have just recently gone through COVID-19. And again, I appreciate both of you for uh, spending some time with us. Closing thought, if you would, uh, Pastor Damon, for those listening. Well, a closing thought, I have to say this. I'm very proud of my husband, and I, I'm just so thankful to him for him, to God. I'm very thankful for my family. But for for everyone who's been listening today, just be prepared is the, is the thing that I would leave you with. Be prepared spiritually, relationally. Don't leave a relationship undone at odds. Be prepared physically, yes, just as you said. Um, and trust God. He's got this. He's in control. He's still on the throne. He's not surprised. He's not overwhelmed. He's not perplexed. Jesus knows how he's leading. And I'll say this, you know, who knows the wisdom of God? We didn't get to have Easter in a building, but it didn't stop Easter from coming. Jesus is alive. He's on the throne. And more people in our world heard the gospel message than ever before. I think, you know what? Jesus is up to something. Our thanks again to Paul Damon, Pastor Don Scott Damon. Information available on the web at donscottdamon.com. That's donscottdamon.com. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.